Today, we're going to get into the un of it all. That's a big U and a big N. My guest today is all about defying traditional norms when it comes to, well, a lot of it started in marketing, but he's really exploded lately talking about unleadership. And he's an amazing storyteller, and I cannot wait to share his wisdom with you. Hold on. Welcome to Relationships at Work, the employee experience and workplace culture podcast. First episode of the brand new 2023 year. Love that you're joining me. Love that you continue to be a listener, a supporter, an encourager. I'll make up words if they make sense. I'll do it. I threateningly so. Uh, Anyway, uh, I just wanted to thank you for a lot of the support I'm getting, uh, especially last episode where I was digging into... um, Oh, I guess the reasons behind the podcast and so forth. But what I want to ask is if you are a fan, if you do enjoy the episodes about employee experience, workplace culture, and every single topic under the sun that we've already discussed, could you let other people know? Could you share? Could you recommend it to others? I ask because we are a growing community. Uh, We've only been around for one year and still trying to get some traction as we steadily grow. And the best way to do that is to ask those that are already enjoying uh, the platform, the show, the experience, the knowledge. Uh, I appreciate it immensely. So if if that's not too big of an ask, I ask, please uh, share it with others so we can sort of expand this community and uh, expand our knowledge and hopefully improve some workplaces as we move forward. And move forward we shall. My guest today, I've known since 2010. Uh, That makes me feel really freaking old. But I met him at a conference in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada, my place of residence. Anyway, he was here for a conference called Social Media Camp, and he was their first keynote speaker of their very first year. And the man has become quite a big deal ever since. But I've always related to his message of... Unmarketing is what it was then, still is, but he's very much about the fact that we need to do better. Leaders need to do better. Employees need to understand and be more empowered. And he's done amazing through his storytelling to explain real world problems in a real relatable way. I There's nobody like Scott Stratton. Uh, there never will be. And I am absolutely thrilled that he is a guest on this episode of the podcast. And I won't lie, I love the fact the man jumps into his music references because we start out with a strong the world is not enough conversation. And then it just goes from there. Let's get into it. Here's Scott. Over there in the chair, it's Scott Stratton. Well, virtually anyway. And here is why he is Awesome. He's a very successful and in-demand keynote speaker. He's the co-creator and president of Unmarketing for two decades. Happy milestone, by the way, this year. Thank you. Thank you. He's just trying to build a better business world based on integrity, community, and authenticity. Just. I'm putting that right in there like it's an easy goal. Uh, He's a six-time best-selling co-author of books focusing on ways we need to stop doing what's been done before. And he's the co-host of Unpodcast, the business podcast for the Fed Up with his partner and co-conspirator, co-conspirator. Of course, I got to put a damn word in the script that I can't even pronounce, <laughs> of all things, Allison, uh, and his co-conspirator of all things with Allison, and Thank he's you. the business podcast. Fed up. I'm going to stop talking and get over to Scott. Hello, Mr. Stratton. <laughs> What's up? You know, I think we could, we're covering almost the entire country of Canada right now, I think, from our, our reach here. We're, we're almost, I should go farther east coast, and then we're just like, hands across Canada. It's perfect. <laughs> Perfect. I love that it started Kumbaya. I appreciate right? that. Right? Yeah, I think we get to, I just I think we're going to have problems in certain sections. You know, it's like the Rockies are going to be really hard to hold hands over and stuff and then you know, and then but you know, it's going to be in northern Ontario is a big, you know, anyway, we'll oh, figure it out. We'll figure it out. We'll, we'll, but tears are not count. enough. As long as we know tears are not enough. That's 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 <laughs> what we need to know as a Canadian we are the world. Tears are not enough. And there's so many Americans listening going, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> <laughs> It's just the Canadian version of "We Are the World," and if you're if you're our age, you know you certainly. Bob Geldof started, you know, a big trend of of, of obviously with Live Aid and everything. It's just like I showed the kids that um, a few weeks ago, actually. Some of like "We Are the World," um, uh, "Ain't Gonna Place on City," 
tears right. are not enough, uh, like it, some farm aid stuff. And he's sure. just like, I, I'm like, this was the eighties, man. We just, we, you know, when we protested, we threw concerts, you know, that was, that was just like, that was the eighties. We had star studded music videos and uh, they went over so much better than like the imagined one that gal, gal and all those people did at the start of the pandemic. It was, you know, it was different. It was different. That's it was the it was a hands across the webcams is not exactly <laughs> the same feel. Not exactly the same feel. Doesn't have the same <laughs> same connection to it, does it? No. No. <laughs> Scott, I have to start off with the question I ask all guests, which is what's your best or worst employee experience, sir? You know, it's it's funny because like some of my best stories and the ones I tell on stage are are from the time like when I was a teenager. And one of the the dangers you get with that people are like, well, it's not relevant though. It's not, but it's, it's literally, um, definitive for the workplace for me. And it's actually one of the things I do talk about in stage and, and I'll give you an abridged version with, a, with less, you know, Scott theatrics than I, than I do in full jazz hands on stage. But we all have those jobs. I thought, well, I'm sorry, we don't all, but most of us have those jobs that are that stand out for us. So it could be your first job. It could be the place where you met somebody or a significant other or a boss was really good or really bad. Now we tend not to, just like the reason we go to Yelp to review places, we tend not to review average places and we tend not to rem remember average people necessarily. We attend, we remember the ones that affected us good and bad. And that really, for me, comes down to, to working at famous players movie theater here in town where I live in Oakville, just West of uh, Toronto. And like I had, as Wayne's World had said, I, I, I had ma many name tags and hairnets in my career. I worked at McDonald's. I worked at Red Lobster. I worked as a busboy, a server, a cashier, retail service. Like, so I did, I did the, the minimum wage circuit. And the one that really stood out for me, where I'm also still friends with people from, is that movie theater. And when I was uh, between 17 and 20 or 21, when I worked there, and I was a triple threat. Of, of terribleness working there. I was a bad box office attendant. I was a poor concession worker and I was a terrible lazy usher at this place. You know, I was just, I was hired to play softball. I was a ringer and I went to 0 for 6, by the way, my first game. So let's not get that all out of, out of context here. Let's just, I just told them I could play. Like that was my interview. You play softball? Yeah. What do you play? Uh, first and outfield. I'm a lefty. They're like, cool. You're hired. Like that, that was not like, I wasn't going through the rankings and the minors and stuff like that. There was no thing. Anyway, so I, I would be that typical, like you see anytime, not today, but I mean, anytime where you're that age and some of us don't take authority very well because of, we're listening to, you know, Rage Against Machine and Papa Roach and, and, you know, cut my life into pieces. This is my last resort. And we're just raging. That's just, and I'm still raging by the way. And I didn't get along with the general manager. Um, and I won't name her, but it's Brenda. And, uh, and she hated me and I hated her and in hindsight and, and through wisdom of age, I think wisdom is time plus mistakes. Um, you know, I, I realized that I was the problem and what she wanted was me just to do my damn job. And, but I was being told what to do. You know, my 15 minute break, I would go 20, 25, I would punch in at six and then go get changed and hang out in the break. You know what I mean? Just those things. It, it was, you know, not, not egregious. It wasn't like I was stealing. Well, they, they never caught me. So it's just like, it was just like these regular things. And I just, I just didn't see, I'd hate it. And I would always talk about that. And we always would because you band together as the, the, the frontline staff against management. We had managers we, we, we liked or didn't like, but didn't care, but she was the, the GM. Fast forward about a year working there, and um, a woman came just busting out of the doors of the Majestic Theater, which was Theater One on my left when I'm working concession. And I'm sweeping up because Forrest Gump is playing, and it was a, a mega hit, so it was just crazy. And we're sweeping the popcorn, and this woman comes blasting out, screaming at me. She just made a beeline for me at the concession, and I know why she was coming, because her, her punk snot-nosed kid a minute prior came up to the concession stand and said, hey, uh, give me... A, a cup of ice water just demanded it and and if you have never worked at any of these places you know we don't give you out the 18 gallon cup for ice water we have a special commemorative thimble you know we give out that is you can't even fit a piece of ice in because that's how the theater makes their money it's through concessions you know the tickets you get different share and as the longer the movie goes the movie theater makes more but it's concessions that's why we stop people from bringing food in and stuff and trust me i exerted that power as hard as i could because when you're that age too, your job is to enforce policies you don't understand nor care about. But when somebody comes at you, you stand up, right? That's the only power I'm going to have. I'm going to flex. And usually what happens at this point, 
in most places, in my experience and others I've heard, not all, but in, in those, in that realm, is that you enforce this policy you don't care about. And you're not really pay, paid enough to enforce it. And then what happens is you, somebody calls a manager over and then they override you. And then you look like an idiot and you wonder why you're even enforcing this stuff. But then, you know, the big, the, the big boss can come in and authorize something. And then you're just running, why am I even enforcing these things? So anyways, this happens. Kid comes out. I tell him, here's your thimble cup. And I smile at him real big just to piss him off. Because I learned if you smile really big when somebody's mad, they get madder. And so, the, so then he goes in angry. And I, I told him off because he told me off. I'm, just like, I'm not going to take this from you. I'm making four eighty-five an hour. I'm not going to take this from you. She comes blaring out because I insulted her kid. And I live in Oakville. Understand something. I live in Oakville, Ontario. If you look that up, beside Bougie and Snotty, Oakville is right there. We look down on Toronto. Toronto looks down on the rest of the country. Just work that into your brain for a second. It's Bougie. It's a Bougie place. And people are very entitled. Hockey is very up in the forefront here. And I, I, I just can't deal with all that stuff. And any, anyway, I rode my bike to high school and everybody had their bends. And I'm just like, okay, you people. All right. I had the sides of my head shaved, you know, and this type of stuff. And I was just as rebel as much as I could from this, this place until I had a kid that I came running back. So this woman comes out screaming at me. And I'm screaming at her. Okay. If, you, if it's go time, it's go time. She's yelling at me. I'm learning new words. I'm yelling at her. And this is what I, I realize I'm going to get fired. Okay. Because everybody can hear it. Th these aren't soundproof theaters. Everybody can hear me screaming. Everybody can hear her screaming. And I'm like, if I'm going to go down, I'm going down like John Bond here. I'm going down in a blaze of glory. Right. Cause every job I had, I gave either one or two weeks notice. Right. You know, it's just like whatever you needed, I'm out, you know, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go out and I'm burning every bridge because this is, this was my path at the, at the time and probably still is. She's screaming. I'm screaming. And I just feel hand on my shoulder, like gently, like not, not nobody, like wasn't pulling. It was just kind of resting on my shoulder, like kind of warm. And it started pulling me back, but not pulling, just kind of guided me back. And I'm thinking like, is this Jesus? Like what's happening here? I'm having this out of body experience here. <laughs> I turn around, it's Brenda. And she puts herself between me and the customer and looks at the woman and says, lady, get the hell out of my movie theater. You don't talk to people that way. You don't talk to Scott that way. And I'm like, you don't have to give her my name, but that's, that's cool. You, you, but you, you, who do you think you are? And then she's like, that's a rhetorical question. Don't even answer that. Go get your money back. Take you and your kid and never come back. And she escorts her out. And she comes back to me. And I think I'm going to be fired. And she says, hey, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. And she goes, hey. And she just makes me look at her. She goes, hey, I got your back. And then she walked away. I am telling you, Russ, I'm telling you. My brain, 180. I came on time. I didn't give away all my shifts or, do you know, being that guy. I punched in and went downstairs. I didn't take break. I took breaks. I'm not a psycho, but you know, I took like my 15 was 15 and I, I, it flipped me to make me realize she's on my side. And that changed everything for me in my brain, realizing that everybody in a position of authority wasn't out to get me. And that a team is only a team if you have each other's back. And if you don't, you're just a random group of people. But here's the thing. Take this along. So then I keep working. Okay. Now I'm there, but now I'm engaged. Now I'm plugged in. I'm still a prick. Okay. I'm still 18, 19. I'm still a prick. Like I'm still that guy, but not in that same way. I take on more responsibility. Okay. I'm starting to do things. Then we start coming in on our off time because we have a lot of people who are also creative. We have Sheridan college here, which is a huge kind of uh, art program here. We have where I went for business. And we have all artistic stuff. And we went to one of the managers. Now we have a different relationships. And I'm like, hey, can we do a promo for like an upcoming movie or something? And they're like, yeah, as long as it's on your own time. Like we don't have the payroll to come have you have five people come in for 25 hours. And paint. we have big bay windows and we could paint them. We had a Michaels right beside us. We wouldn't get paint. And then sometimes they would send us stencils from the movie itself. Like the nightmare before Christmas, we did a whole painting of all Jack and all the guys on the windows. Coneheads came out. I rocked a freaking conehead for it. Like I'm talking, we were in. 
And then Maverick came out. Okay, right? Jodie Foster, Mel Gibson, um, uh, James, uh, one other, can't remember who, Kurt, thank you. And so, and so we're like, oh, awesome, because we're also all de- degenerates. So we're like, yeah, poker. So we painted, like, but this was on our own. So the, 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 the studio didn't even send a kit. So like Coneheads and all, they sent kits. If theaters wanted to go into it, here's some stuff you could do. They didn't send anything, but we're like, hey, we should do something big for this. We painted the bay windows, aces, all the aces and stuff like that. We set up a, you know, a charity, but like just uh, uh, like blackjack, but old school. We, had a, we, we got a spin wheel from the party rentals place. We traded it for some movie passes. So we did it with no cost. And one of the managers said, we'll cover the cost of the paint for you. We're like, thank you so much. Awesome. We brought in Laser Quest to do the quickest draw in Oakville in the lobby. And we're doing We're doing that. We did a huge, and we all dressed up in the old time clothes. We had big, the dresses and everything. We found a party rental place. Like we went all out for this. And it was amazing. We almost got sued by the actual quickest draw in Oakville. Didn't know that existed. Guy had the record for, and he came. He's like, that's my title. And we're like, dude, it's, it's Laser Quest and children. Relax. And so we're going through all this. We put everything into it. We had the best numbers for that movie over opening weekend as well. And the following week, just because of the buzz we made. We made it into the paper. made it on the radio. Like We did all these things, and we were so happy. We were so excited. Like you don't get that a lot at work when you're that age, a lot, because you're working those, you're working service. Like working with the public sucks just because people suck. Not everybody, but it's always the one in 10 that suck that ruin the day for you. You do all this. We are extremely proud of it. Our managers are proud of us. They're like, hey, we're going to put this together in a, in, a, in a whole project, a whole book. And it was bound and we had photos and the clippings and we're going to send it to corporate to show them what you all did. They didn't take the credit for it, which is common. They said in it, right? Our employees took their own initiative on their own time and their own money to do this. And when they sent it off and we're just like, cool, they might send, you know, maybe we'll get a pizza party or something. I don't care. I'm telling you six months after we sent it, they, we got a package from them. And we opened it up. We're like, well, it took them a long time. That's okay. And the head office was like literally the town over. It wasn't like we're sending it to another continent. And we opened the package. And it was our original submitted report. With a check mark on the cover. That's it. And we all looked at each other because we gathered around to open it. And said, fuck these guys. And it killed all of it. And we never did a promo again. Now, I know it was because I was 18. And I know I'm 47 now. But do you notice when I tell that story, it's vivid to me? I've never let it go. I'm not like hunting them down on LinkedIn saying, why did you ever? I just don't forget it. And that's what I, it's the erosion of leadership is my biggest concern. It's the F you got mine version of leadership. That one thing leaders have to understand, you don't actually, they don't have to, but if you want to understand what's going on right now, you have to understand that leaders have no idea about what the company culture is. Culture is driven top down and felt bottom up. And if you are the only people that know the company culture is the bottom of the org chart. And it's just, it's like office space, right? It's just this, this delusion sometimes. And I don't, I don't mean CEOs and leaders and stuff need to know and be at every location on the front line. That's not your job. My problem is when you, is when you assume you do know, or when you assume you're better because you're not, it's a job these are humans and we don't forget these things you remember the people that both helped you and hurt you i never forgot the vp at goodwill my first job out of college in hr the vp of marketing who would not would refuse to even acknowledge somebody who was lower than her in the hallway and i made it a game i would force her to say hi to me she took extra effort i remember my boss at goodwill gina who i adore still to this day why because she she told it to me straight and she supported me 
when I got furious because of my righteousness, which still hasn't gone away, when I would get furious at why would we allow this person who did this to get this? And she says, look, this is the business side of it. If this happens, then this happens and this happens. I'm like, damn it, you're right, but I don't like it. But she explained it to me. And she's like, would you go to the president of a nonprofit and explain why you did this instead? And I'm like, that's a fair point. Right? And then she went on mat leave. And the person who took her place was a prick. And when I would go home, and I remember this day, the day I decided to leave, my stepson, who was three at the time, had strep throat. And I went and I just got him. I didn't ask for permission because I'm an adult. And I had my meetings all taken care of and everything was fine. Because I'm an adult, I picked up my son. And the next day, he sat me down and said, hey, you just can't come and go as you please. And I said, I, yes, I can. Because I'm an adult. And I'm making sure my job is taken care of. I'm in a salary position right now. I don't remember punching in. And I said, are you saying I can't go if my, my kid needs me? And he says, I am. And I said, great. And a month later, I was at a new company. You can flex all you want. But understand that people aren't taking it. It's a hard pass for people these days. Hard pass. Toxic employees are 10 times more the reason. This just came out of MIT. I'm not speaking out of my ass here. But also, this is... we, we but, Look how bent out of the shade I'm getting today. Thank you for that. But you understand, look, this is not new. None of this stuff is new. Well, this is now, well, this is the new, the great resignation. People have felt this the whole time. We've just had enough now. 20 years ago was the same thing. 10 times more than pay is a toxic employee of the reason somebody leaves. And pay is a huge issue. So take the pay issue, which is huge, and stop freaking ignoring it. And stop telling me not to mention it at talks, because I will. Because that's my job, is to tell you the actual reasons why people are leaving. Pay is huge, and toxic people are ten times that. But here's the rub. Nobody thinks they're toxic. So that's my job, is to make sure they can figure out who it is. <laughs> Man, it got me on a rant there, sir. <laughs> that was a rant. <laughs> Oh, I felt it. I felt the rant. I mean, that's the thing is people don't understand how trauma works. And I've mentioned this on podcasts before is <laughs> when I asked that question about best or worst, most of the stories are decades old. Mm -hmm. These people are carrying this with them. So leadership, I'll put air quotes in that one, don't seem to realize the impacts of their action or inaction, which you made a beautiful display of right there. So before we get into the unleadership of it, I do want to actually dial back a bit and just understand the un of it. Because yeah. when you started, as we said, two decades ago, you and you kind of alluded to it there, is that uh, everything has changed and nothing is different. Correct. And yet we steep, go through a whole bunch of change and yet. Because we're still dealing with people. And the problem is when people get a certain amount of power, it's very hard to get them to let it go. But the thing is, it's perceived power. You actually don't have power over people in theory if they don't let you. The problem is it's a privilege. A lot of people can't leave their job. Some people can, but they don't feel they can. But a lot of people can't right? because you have to live. And it's more expensive now to live than it's ever been. You look at the financial ratios, and I'm not a financial guy. But I, I when I, when I, the non-financial guy, know that it was easier to buy a home on a financial ratio level in the Great Depression than it is today, that's scary. So it's like this, this world of, of we think that this, this, well, it was this time or this time. People are people. I show on stage, I think about like ripping on younger generations. And I talk about it and I got this one of my bits, right? And I rip on like millennials or Gen Z or Gen Z, you know, at the first part. And I read a, an article on stage. It's like four pages of slides, full text. It's like really, it really starts up like it's a lot. It's way too much text. And I, I do it for a reason. I read it and like the young youth of today and blah, blah, blah. And some people in the audience are cheering. They're like, yeah, they suck. You know, and, and then I flip it. And I'm like, this is from Newsweek, October 31st, 1993, which was ripping on Gen X. 
And then I show another quote, you know, times uh, uh, children don't expect adults, re respect adults these days, and everybody's writing a book. And that's a quote. And people, and I ask them to guess in the audience, when this from? And they're like, 1970. And they're like, 1980. It was 50 BC. And it was Cicero who said it. We, we got to stop looking like assholes. We have to, st it's not young people's fault of anything, nor is it an older person's fault because I'm not, I'm not against older generations ripping on younger generations. I'm, I'm against people ripping on this age that I think because it's also harder to be older as well. Like if you think it's hard to get a job at 25, try getting a job at uh, 55. And you realize that, wait a second, if it's hard, then it's hard. Then it's just hard. Things are tough. And then we have to acknowledge these things. I, I, I posted this on LinkedIn last night. Just one line. I just posted one line. And I said, please stop saying we're post-pandemic. That's all I wrote. Especially if you're a leader. Because one, we're not. And two, you just shit on people in your company or, and or customers that are extremely vulnerable, especially now. I know people are, and I'm not, this is not a thing about the pandemic and when we don't, we're not getting into this type of stuff. What I'm saying is there are people in your organizations or your customer base that when you say these things that now that we're after the pandemic and now that we're this, who are, who are vulnerable, who are, are, are extremely, uh, who have long COVID, who have COVID currently, who've lost people to it, not just the whole time, but even recently it's out of touch. It's out of touch for leaders to say, you can't discuss your pay. Uh, can we, let's go back to the point. Are they adults? Good. And if they're not adults, you need to be treating them a little bit more with care instead of the other way around. If you hire people in their formative years, in their late teens, you are like Brenda. You are the one who's going to show them good or bad. And when you say nobody wants to work for you, I beg to differ. They just, I sorry, you said, you say that people don't want to work. I, I, they don't want to work for you. That's the difference. It's insane that some of the stuff that people are saying and doing now. I've, I've, and I, I've talked to people. I sat down with the CEO last week and about return to work. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, well, we just feel that the, it's a better culture and fit. And, and I'm like, okay, that's what you think. Yeah. And you're the CEO. You understand it's different walking around the office as a CEO than it is as somebody else. Well, I like the hallway conversations. You're goddamn right you do. You're the CEO. You think the account's payroll person just loves your 14th story you've told? The same one? And the same joke? And by the way, here's a good indicator it's have something's happening. If only people that laugh at your jokes are the people that pay, you pay. Those are laughstitutes. Okay? You're not funny. If you hear outside of work... You hear laughter inside of work, but outside of work, people, and you have to say a lot. If you have to say the phrase a lot, it's just a joke. You're part of the problem. You're part of the problem. And people have had enough. And once they realize they can move jobs, once they realize that companies that treat their employees like adults and say, hey, what's the best way you work? I'm not against in office, nor am I work from home. I am adults know what they need therefore let them choose are going to be the companies that win and that are winning right now because here's the thing i'm going to go talk to uh, c-suite people in in a week from now all 50 people it's a 50 person group all c level and this is what i have to tell them and it hurts that it's actually better for business for profit now to do it as well because I don't want profit to be the reason why you treat people like an adult. I don't want, I remember 20 years ago, at the start of this whole thing, I had somebody in an, a small room group. Yeah, it was more like a fireside chat talk type of thing. And he said, show me the numbers that treating people well is better for business. And I said, no. One, I didn't have them on me. And two, <laughs> go fuck yourself. It's not a business case. I don't think relationships are a campaign. I don't think conversations are a campaign. Right? You know why we're talking today? today? Because I think you're awesome. And we've had a relationship for a long time.
When you ask me, I'm like, hell yes. You know how many people ask me to go on shows that have no idea who they are, but they pretend to be a friend? They try, you've supported us longer than almost anybody. That's relationships, man. That's how it works. Which is also weird when you're saying thank you for coming on the show. I'm like, dude, yes. It's a no-brainer. But people don't get that a lot of the times. We talked about that before we came on air, right? About getting on podcasts and getting people and just, and just taking the path of least resistance. I don't think relationships are that. I don't think leadership is that. Leading is hard. I, I read a great line on Twitter a while ago. I, I can't remember the source. I apologize. Um, but there's a line. It's like, if, if you f feel imposter syndrome after three months of being a, a, in a new leadership position, look in the mirror. Oh, sorry. If you don't feel it in the first three months, look in the mirror. And if you do still feel it after 12 months, look at your manager. Right? It's a nice balance because at the start, because if we didn't come down to it, you know what makes it a lot easier to look at the workplace is that nobody actually knows what they're doing. <laughs> that everybody's winging it, right? We all have our versions of best practices, right? And we got to figure that out. But we're all winging it. Everybody's winging it in a way they think is right. And that really can help your brain a bit, understanding that that person seems like they have it together. They don't. That person seems like they have it together. Oh, they don't either. I don't. I'm still figuring this stuff out. We're just making our best guess. And, and, and if you take that away, you realize it makes everybody a little bit more human. And then it's a little more relatable to each other. I like, and you may laugh at this, I may look at you as an optimist, Scott, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> <laughs> You've got the tattoo, and yeah. it's part of everything, which is unlearning. And that's to assume people want to, or that you think they can, because yeah. there's a lot of people that get to certain positions, and they're stuck, or at least yeah. they... I've done it. I've checked the boxes. I've right. worked my ass up to get up to this ladder. I'm here now. I'm going to have my pseudo conversations in the hallway. But where does learning and unlearning come into this? Because I, I'm hopeful, but I'm also jaded as fuck sometimes. Yeah, well, you and me both. And I, if you leave your career path and your life in business up to others, I don't think you have much choice other than to be disappointed. Because they're, it's uncontrollable. And I focus on one thing. It's what I can control. Allison and I focus on one thing, what we can control, right? We couldn't control COVID hitting. We couldn't control my industry disappearing. We couldn't control anything. Can't control our kids. We have five of them, right? We can only do our best. And when I realized, you know, even the bosses I didn't like that they were doing their best, I, I still don't believe it because I'm still angry at all of them. But I'm like, even the, the ones who were, it was hard for them, everybody was doing their best. But also you realize they're all human. And that they have their life outside of work is just their life. And we all have our struggles. We all have, we all have these things. And understand we don't get that. We don't get to the point where we, well, they're this person. Like if you ever ran into somebody at work that you don't hang in with, with outside of work and you meet them in public, it's weird. It's like, it's like seeing one of your teachers, right? You're like, I, do I have to do what you say in the grocery store? Like, I don't, you don't know what to do. <laughs> Why did I call you Mr. All of a sudden? Yes. I don't understand. <laughs> Like you don't know what to do with that. And I'm just like, we're all on this rock floating through space here right now. And I, you know what? I'm, Allison talks about this a lot where, you know, I'm always like, I'm the one that hates people. And I'm, and, and she's like, you don't, I'm the one that talks to people. I'm the one that strikes up conversations in elevators. I'm the one that, that loves talking to people, you know, at events and stuff. And I don't hate people. I, I adore good people. I, I really love people who, who stand up and who, who stand for something and who people are also, I love people who are just trying to get through the damn day that they don't want to ruin somebody else's day. They're not trying to step on somebody's head to get the next rung in the ladder that they just want to do their job, whatever that is. And that's what leaders have to understand too, as well, Russ, is that they, is it okay if you have people who work for you, who don't want your job? Like if they're not trying to climb that ladder because it's a pyramid, you know that, right? You know that you have a team of 10 that you want to make them and you dangle that carrot 
that you're lying to nine of them? You know, that's how banks employ a lot of people that they get new grads with degrees and make them all work teller at the front because that's what everybody has to do. And that that's how they get all their bank tellers. And then one job opens up somewhere else and 735 people apply to it. I don't know if that's ethical. I don't know if we're going the right route with that and people are tired of it. And that's where, it, so that's where the, the, and the anger for me is more passion. It's like on stage, I get riled up on it because I'm really fucking passionate about people. And I really hate a certain segment of the population that wants to just demand that people do their bidding. It's not what we're here for. I think we're here as a community, whether it's your local community, your street, your country, or the continent or the world. I think that we're in this together. And that the day you think you're better than somebody else is the day you're not. And yet here we are today with companies trying to figure, well, I don't know what to do or this. I know what to do. Stop being hypocritical. Stop either living by the mission statement you've plastered on the wall or take it down. Companies are so hypocritical these days. Is it they a tell framing? people you can't. What's that? Go ahead. Is it a framing issue? I mean, you bring up, you brought up ethics. No, and I know you not, talked about it. But it's not framing. I know you're, it's not framing though. It's lying. Yeah. It's bullshit. They make a mission statement because it looks good for the stakeholders. Oh, yeah. Everything they try to do, and this is not everybody, but a lot of companies, that their only, the only stakeholders they, they listen to or pay attention to is shareholders. And they're like, we have to do this because it's for shareholder value. And I'm just like, hey, I'm just asking, I'm just curious, do you have shares? Like, are you one of the, because what you're doing is, is you're deflecting to another group that you have to be, you have to show fealty to, but yet you're one of the kings. So, um, oh, you don't, but you, oh, you have equity. Like I remember the president of, of one of the companies I worked at one after my boss, Gina, when I left and went to a new one, that the president was beside himself because the top salespeople in the company were making a higher annual amount than him. And I was the sales training manager. So I was in on this and he said, this has to change. We have to change the comp. And I said, you have equity. He's like, that's beside the point. I'm like, that is the point. The point. And then he changed the comp plan. Take a wild guess to what happened. The best salespeople left. Yeah. And took their customers with them. Good luck with that non-compete. People, man. People. I don't get it. Culture. It is, I mean, I, I, I love saying it like one word, like it's going to be like just culture, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Monolithic word. Because leadership puts the blame on staff to create culture, and yet they don't want to model it either. So we're kind of stuck in the middle of the culture that we're creating. Huh. How do we move the needle on creating a different culture if leadership doesn't seem to want to raise the banner and run to a model that actually people want to work under. Oh, you don't. You quit. You can't. You can't change the culture of the company if the top isn't doing it. You can have a team culture that gets squashed every few weeks from somebody above you. And then you got to start building that up again. Culture isn't a thing. Culture is a feeling. It's the bottom of the org chart. How do they feel working at that company? End of, uh, end of sentence. And if, the, if your team lead, the boss or anybody else doesn't want to do that, there are a lot of companies who do. And the problem is what happens is sometimes jobs become almost a level of an abusive relationship because it's abusive. Then you think you're, you're worthless. You think you can't get a job somewhere else and you think that, well, it'll get better. It won't if the person is in charge of you. And if you want to change it, and since people can't figure out, and I don't think people are toxic and I think there's toxic things and traits. I think everybody's on a scale, right? Bad on one end, good on the other. We fit somewhere on that. But if you are, if you want to be a more self-aware person in leadership, then use three words. 
stop, start, continue. I didn't come up with these three words. I learned it 25, 30 years ago. I think it was like a Dear Abby column. I swear, I swear. It was one of the best, like an Ann Landers or Dear Abby or something like that. Best thing I ever read. Ask your team. And you can do this for customers too, by the way, or clients. What should I stop doing? What should I start doing? And what should I continue doing to ensure that we have the best team, best client relationship, best whatever? And you can take it away a bit too if you don't want to make it directly at you. Because it's hard to hear that crap. I still hate getting feedback on my stuff. I get it. To say, if you ran the team for 30 days, what would you stop doing? Start doing and continue doing. Or the company. You know what I mean? So you get all of this type of stuff. When I used to do consulting, we did this for a client, a private school in Toronto. And we did it with their, with their the parents, so the people who were paying the tuition. Of, and because they were getting a lot of churn. The thing is, there's signs. There's always signs from customers, from employees, from that stuff. There's signs that come. There's indicators along the way. But you have to be listening and observing. And we put it out to the parents. And in 24 hours, I shit you not, we had a 96% response rate. The greatest response rate I've ever seen in a survey in my life. Now, mind you, these are very vested people. <laughs> it's their children. <laughs> Private school. And they gave up the issues. And a lot of them were just seemingly mundane little issues. But it meant a lot. One of the things was like when you put out the menus for the week for the cafeteria, it's not always, you don't always stick to it. Little thing. And there are some big things. And we sat around and we addressed it and, and assigned it. We put it out on a, like a survey monkey type of thing. We put it out there and we, we left it optional. They could say their name if they wanted a direct response for something. We signed everything. They took their churn to almost zero. Not, not because of me, but because they listened. I just came in with a thought and I brought the binders in and overcharged them for it. It was just the, like, it was the point. And then fast forward, I was brought into a place up by Pearson, up in Toronto by the airport. And I was brought in for the employees. And they're like, I was a referral from uh, somebody at Quaker State. And they're like, hey, come on in. It was an automotive thing. And I came in as a warehouse, like distributor type of thing. And I said, what's the, what, what do you want to help with? What can I help you with? They're like, well, we don't have any problems, actually. Which is one of the first sign I know they have problems. They literally said that out loud to me. We don't have issues. We just want you to take our employees from here to here. I'm like, okay, cool. And I booked like five, six lunch and learns. This is like, again, 25 years ago. And they weren't having anything I was saying. They weren't even budging. And I know when I'm bombing. I promise you. I've been on stage many a times. I've done like 530 keynotes. Um, not including that was also the keynotes before the keynote era. <laughs> I've, I've spoken at a food court at a mall. Got heckled by somebody that worked at New York Fries. It's amazing. You know, so I've done a lot. of. I know when the audience is going with it. And I stopped what I was doing. I just said, hey, what's wrong? And a woman put up her hand. She says, all, all what you're saying today, Scott, is fine and good. But when you're done today, you get to leave here. And I'm like, oh, snap. So I said, we're going to stop doing this. Take out the paper in your binder. And I want you to write stop on one paper, start on the other one, and continue on the other one. And what would you do differently in this company if you ran it? They wrote like you'd never seen somebody write before. And then one guy froze. He's like, oh, my God. Is our names going to be on this? And I said, no, I'm going to take all of it and put it into one big report. And he's like, do you have more paper? And he kept writing, kept writing, kept writing. And it was just a train wreck. Because one of the secrets is stop and start. They can hurt, but they give you great information. Continues the nice, warm, and fuzzy, like what you're doing right. I, put, I, I did it with all five groups. And they only had one continue out of everybody. One. And one person said, I liked the hot dog at the barbecue last year. Hot dog singular, by the way. And then I brought it back to the same executives who looked shockingly like me. And I sat down and, and they're all like, uh, so Scott, we, we hired you to help our, elevate our, 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 our workers. And apparently we've heard you just did surveys. And I'm like, well, yeah, because you sent me in under false pretenses. It's not that you don't have any problems. It's all you have. And they started looking through the binders. And they were furious, furious, not with the results, but with me. 
And one guy who was the r- guy who was really getting ripped in this stuff, every page term was more violent. Like, I wish I was making this stuff up. It's still vivid to me. Angry, angry. The final page he tore out. And he goes, I think one or two things happened here, Scott. They're either lying or you told them to write these things. And I'm like, or, Steve, there's a third. There's a dark horse here. Maybe. Hear me out. Hear me out. Just give me a second. Maybe. This is how they feel. And he's, and the CEO looks at me and goes, we're done here. And I left out. And, um, oh, that's the end of the story, by the way. There was no, there's no redemption arc to the story. There's no redemption arc whatsoever, except when I was leaving, the really angry VP said, if they didn't like it, they would quit. And I'm like, you bet. Yeah, but but here's the thing. I don't need to be back at that place to know it's still like that. Sadly. You started in HR. Yeah, I did. That is your origin story, is actually HR. This is the has, stuff I know best. How has that role changed, if or has it? Because, I mean, I feel yeah. like, and I have all the love and the sympathy for HR people because they keep getting asked to do more and more and more and more and have different results, and yet they're divisions don't get bigger or they don't get the investments. So what is H has HR's role changed in your, or how do they help with the unleadershipping? So two, two parts. One, I haven't been in HR in a very long time. So I I don't want to, I don't (laughs) want to speak for them, but HR is actually my passion. I went to college for it. I was in it. I taught it for seven years, employment law, hiring communications, HR one, HR two. I'd love helping people. That's my, that's my goal in life. It's, it's part of my DNA. And I very quickly learned that, it, in my case, that HR wasn't about that. It was about protecting the company a lot. And, but you still help people until you get squashed by it. And the hard thing about HR for me is that you're in charge of the people without any of the autonomy to do anything about it that a lot of the times, and again, this might've changed a bit, but I doubt it, that HR doesn't get a seat at the table. This was a problem in the nineties when we changed over from the eighties in personnel to HR. We changed the wording. It was not personnel anymore. It was human resources because humans are resources. They're also renewable resources if you let them renew. And HR doesn't have that ability. Because what happens if somebody is one of those toxic people that's 10 times the reason somebody else leaves and they're like, we have to get rid of this person. And one of the VPs is like, nope. Or it's one of the VPs. HR has to report into the CEO to me. Has to. Which means the CEO is head of HR. Because no CEO is going to say, you can run free without reporting to me. But that would be the best with good HR people. Cause there's people in HR who hate people. And I don't know if it, if you hate them because you got into it or you hate them after you've been in it for a while. But I think there's re- some, a lot of good people in HR that really want to do good things. And they're handcuffed. They're handcuffed on so many levels and they're still viewed as overhead. They're viewed as administrative. HR is, is as administrative as a lot of other departments. You know, like finance is administrative. <laughs> it's all forms. But we don't look at them as that. We look at them as a, as a, you know, analytic and a, a business driver and things like that. What drives your business more than the freaking people? The people. And we, we wanted to change it when I was at, uh, it was Goodwill Toronto where I was. And we went and said, okay, if I'm in charge of like the stores, so me and the HR counterpart, we split uh, Southern Ontario Goodwill was at Young Street, which is the longest street, one of the longest in the world, I think. And we, Young Street East uh, was my stores, and Young Street West was my my partners there, uh, Mike's stores. And we did a whole caravan. We started going out to stores and get outreach to the managers and stuff, and getting to know. That's what I wanted to do. That's what my boss wanted to do. Gina as well. So I loved her. And then somebody up higher up is like, "Okay, stop doing that. No more. We're not going to pay for the gas or whatever." You're like, what? What? HR is are the ones that can change the people. Your job in HR is to attract and retain 
awesome people. End of paragraph. But it's not. It's to attract and retain the people you can afford in the timeline you've got. Trying to shuck and jive and defend between the people you already have. I had somebody in, in marketing come up once and said, hey, I need you to hire me a new assistant. Make sure they're blonde. What the hell? Yeah. <sighs> so I hired, the, I hired the blonde person. It was just of a different gender. I want to wrap it up with the lens of unleadership. Yeah. In a positive way. Uh, we've, we've, you do an amazing, I mean, the reason, one of the biggest reasons I love you is you're so good at creating the mirror that people need to look back into yeah. because their self-awareness and self, uh, well, self-reflection is a little yeah. weak. So it's hard though. It's hard. It, it is a hard thing. Possible. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people, if they're, it, cause they don't want to look, um, they want to put their head down and barrel yeah. through the day. So Scott, through the lens of unleadership, if there's mm -hmm. one simple action and I'm, I hate, I, I love and hate this question because I think it's a mindset thing, not a tactic thing, but everybody likes, Ooh, what's my takeaway. So with the unleadership lens, what's one simple thing you think right, people can do right now to improve the relationships at work? Ask, ask to listen, not ask to talk. And what I mean by that is when you ask somebody a question as a leader, don't do the human trait, which is I'm going to wait for your answer. And then I'm going to tell you what I think. Ask something to, to hear it, to be curious about your people. Curiosity can change everything. Meaning get to know them more. Not doesn't be personally. I mean, they're what they need. I think a leader's job is to support down and, and block up with the shield, right? What do you need? I'll go get it for you. But and you push your way through. Honestly, I do. That's a leader to me. That's a leader I would follow. And you're not a leader if nobody wants to follow you. You're just a manager. That there is Scott Stratton. He's a successful, crazy in demand keynote speaker. He's got six books, co-author in here and there. And I am always thrilled to talk to the man. Thank you very much for your time, Scott. My absolute pleasure. Thanks for asking. And that will do it for another episode of Relationships at Work, the Employee Experience and Workplace Culture podcast. If you're looking for something a little extra outside of the podcast, I recommend signing up for Raw Notes. That's R at symbol W, much like Relationships at Work, Notes. Just head over to relationshipsatwork.ca and in the top right, you can sign up to our weekly note that I will pass over to you. It's, it's some new thoughts, perspectives, ideas, as well as some resources that I found recently that might help you think a little differently, tactics, mindset, all the things that will help make the workplace a place we want to go to and thrive in every single day. Raw Notes, I hope you give it a chance and hope you check it out. I'm Russell Olicker. Thanks for spending some time with me. Take care.